You're listening to A440 Podcast with Ed Rudisell and Kevin Franzen. Long-form interviews with underground musicians. Brought to you by Creative Zombie Studios. Find us at A440podcast.com and on Instagram at A440pod. Welcome to the inaugural episode of A440 Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell. And I'm Kevin Franzen. And we are kind of an offshoot um, of Shift Drink Podcast. I've got another show where I talk food and beverage. And uh, my friend Mike has been on the show over there before. But today, we've got him on our inaugural episode of A440, um, talking about what he does the best, which is play music. So uh, please welcome Mike Michek of Broken Hope, Atlas Moth, Kenyon of the Skull, fucking every other band in Chicago <laughs> to the show. <laughs> welcome, Mike. Oh, welcome, y'all. What's up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Well, we knew that we wanted to have somebody that, uh, you know, we really love the music on the on the first episode. And, and like, it's hard to get away from your music. You play with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's the joke in Chicago, man, where you can never find enough drummers. And there's like about three of us that probably cover about 90% of the scene. So. <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, you. I just uh, got your... Uh, email address. You just send it over so we could get this Zoom thing going. And it's like, you have this cool dark matter coffee fucking email address. I'm like, I don't even have a work address and I'm the owner. Edwardsell77 at AOL.com <laughs> That's right. I, I, hey, fuck off, man. You're not that too much younger than me, buddy. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to jump into this shit because we've been talking about doing this for a long time, Kev. And you know, we finally like got some really cool ideas happening and put it together. And we got Mike on the show, and I want to really dig deep into like what, what, who you're currently playing with, what's going on now. Because this, I mean, we're in the middle still of a global pandemic. You're stuck. You know, you're I, you're not touring. You know, so so what's going on in Chicago, or if you are able to get out, where you know what's going on? Oh man, I mean, it's a, and that's exactly it. It's getting up on literally a year since I think the last time Candy with the Skull around this time last year doing some regional shit because we had just dropped a record and i want to say like late january early february was the last of 2020 i know there were several shows in chicago that we wanted to hit and you know right at that like cusp of of the shutdowns you're wearing a shirt we were supposed to go see mayhem on easter sunday was it easter yeah oh i didn't realize that was good <laughs> No, it's good. Well, Excuse me. It was Good Friday. It was Good Friday. That's what it was. The, the, the whole year passed so quickly. I just today was thinking about that. Like, it's well, I got my I got a renewal in the mail that only happens once a year. I'm like, I just paid this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got. We were talking about this before the show, Mike. And like, not only do you play with all these different bands, man, but like, you have a really wide, varied um, kind of styling. Not only like in the way that you play drums. But the way that the bands write music and even like inter album, like within the albums, you know, we were kind of going comparing notes before the show and talking about some of the songs. And it's like really cool, um, especially like some of the uh, the latest. Well, actually, the last couple of Broken Hope albums kind of I wouldn't say jump all over the place, but you can definitely hear like direct influences from song to song. And like uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, where, where you kind of got your influence, where you, how you got into metal in the first place, you know, and, and ended up behind the drums. Yeah. I mean, man, I got to, especially with the past couple Broken Hope records, like I made it a huge point when I joined the band to kind of reunite my love for old school death metal and really dive head deep into it. So there's a lot of like, especially if you 
you go to those early 90s death metal records, it's chaotic. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. It's kind of like, let's do it as heavy and as fast as we can. So kind of just taking that mentality and saying, fuck it. You know, it's those songs, especially on the last Broken Home Record, and Assimilated, were really written in a jam spot and then kind of spliced in pre-production to be made into actual songs. So it really, I think, kind of brought with it some of the chaotic energy and some of the randomness. And also, I mean, forever, my two main metal influences for drumming will be Pete Sandoval and Dave Lombardo. So finding a dope, like, even level between those two, because Dave's got, like, this really bombastic, and everything he does almost has a swing to it. And then Pete is just brutal, absolute, on the ball all the time. Like, he made Blast Beat like a rhythmic thing. So trying to find a nice balance for that kind of where I, I want especially on the last Broken Hope record. I know it's hard to like not be influenced by Lombardo if you're a percussionist. In fact, that's what actually got me into Slayer in the first place was uh, all my friends were percussionists. And they were like, you got to fucking hear Slayer, man. It's insane. But I was thinking about that. Um, again, kind of reviewing some of your back catalog today, but like the, the like mutilated and assimilated. Like, but There's like a break right about halfway through the song where it's completely got the South of Heaven, like double bass in your face. Like, you know, when you see that shit live, it's like when a pound on shit and 16th notes, you know? Oh, dude, exactly. I mean, and that was coming straight up because, uh, I mean, Jeremy, when we were writing that record, Jeremy Wagner, guitarist of Broken Hope, had just acquired some of Jeff Hammond's guitars. So we were in the jam space and he was writing on that, on that like classic Slayer guitar from War Ensemble that has like the Dead Kennedys and the Circle Jerk sticker on it. So that it, it was being channeled. And I, I love that you picked up on that because there was a lot of like seasons in the abyss vibe going on on that last record. Yeah. And that's kind of where I got introduced to Slayer was like, I, I you know, in 86, I was 10. So like. My mom wasn't keen on me, like grabbing like rain and blood, you know, like quite, quite yet. And so it was a couple of years before I, like, I got a, a, you know, a dupe copy of, uh, like, you know, seasons and, and South of heaven and all that. And it, like, it was, it, it's funny that like the, <laughs> probably the greatest thrash metal album of all time. Like I, I skipped right over that and then got into them later and kind of worked my way back to the catalog. Right, right, right. Oh, dude. And I, I will defend those two records Till to the grave because I know it's considered blasphemy. But if somebody were to ask me what my favorite player record is, I don't think Rain and Blood's going to be first listed for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, all that stuff. It's it's all classic. It's I mean, so this was all stuff that happened before you were born, Kev. Just uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, nineteen eighty six. Uh, well, it depends on what month it was. I was zero. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mike's a bit younger than us as well. You guys might be about the same age. I would, I would have, 86, I would have been negative five. <laughs> See, there you go. Well, you know, speaking of like the um, kind of inter-album styles, you know, one thing that I, I've heard you talk about before is kind of the, uh, the beauty of playing, you know, slow beats and heavy in which, you know, there's, when done well, there's nothing heavier than like kind of a down-tempo fucking metal song, especially in death metal, but it's so hard to hit it. I mean, Dave Lombardo is, is, is the king of that slow and heavy and in your face. It doesn't have to be, I think this guy's name, the dude from Infant Annihilator. <laughs> like quadruple 37, whatever. I don't even know if they count, right? Exactly. <laughs> Just blast beats for breakfast. You know, that is funny though about, you know, blast beats and kind of the way that metal has changed over, especially metal drumming over the last couple decades. And again, you know, I grew up about, I'm what, 10, 15 years older than you guys. And so I was kind of like a, a kid heading into my teens during the thrash metal, like first wave of thrash metal. And 
you know, death metal was really young. I mean, I remember the first time, that, you know, we heard Cookie Monster vocals. It was like, oh, I don't know. Even if you were a metalhead, it felt weird. You know, you're like, oh, I don't know, man. But um, the drums have changed a lot in the last decades. You know, we've seen precision and obviously everybody's trying to one up each other all the fucking time. But, you know, we also have seen the technology change a lot when it comes to like being in the studio using live triggers, you know, for like consistency sake, you know, I mean, how do you, where do you come down on some of those arguments? Cause people get really vehemently pissed off about like any sort of like technology being integrated into what's, you know, a pretty lo-fi, you know, style of music traditionally. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's hilarious to do that. There, I don't know if anybody who's hip to, you know, shit posting Facebook culture was around when there was that cat that was blowing up metal band on the internet asking if they use triggers and then if they said yes you just go off on them it's just <laughs> the funniest damn shit ever it's like no man we even had the guitars triggered on that record but i mean it's awesome and you know that that whole sick drummer i, I call it like sick drummer culture especially with the one-upmanship and the the precision and all that but you know being a child of the old school even though i didn't necessarily grow up in that era i'm much more akin to kind of like the human aspect of it because like it's a ridiculous form of music at the end of the day everybody's trying to be as brutal as possible and i find something very heavy in the fact that it's not perfectly slapped into a grid of precision you know there's got to be some groove and some feeling in it you know that's why obituary cause of death slaps so hard compared to like a modern tech death record which is going to be those precision blast beats the entire time and the riffs and shit are cool but man it just doesn't hit the same you know no uh, when i was listening to uh, some broken hope last night to get ready for this uh, episode today um the first thing i thought of was like obituary there especially they got the the guitar tone i know you're the drummer but the guitar tone really kind of really got me well and those down tempo songs you know uh, you know it's just really fucking hard hitting and any musicians that are listening to this out there will know that you know cranking the tempo down is way more difficult than cranking it up you know i mean you can you can get yourself accustomed yeah Groove is so heavy. Groove is so sick, and it's so underutilized these days. Like that's what those obituary style breakdowns are just so sick, and I will never get tired of hearing that shit. That's funny. You know, I mean, talking about that precision. Yeah, you, I mean, when everything like clicks on to the the like you said grid, and and I think that's uh, the perfect way to put it. Because I think so many people now are kind of accustomed to seeing pro audio fucking software i mean you know we didn't grow up with that you know and so like being able to have that at your fingertips and record music in, in your basement as i do <laughs> you know um it's super cool but yeah i mean it does it's all snaps right in and it's immediately noticeable when you hear it like it's just some one of those intangibles it's probably off by you know a millisecond but you're, the human body can hear that it can hear that perfection um, or lack thereof, and it, it, you like you said, it loses groove. Yeah, and like groove is groove is so essential, especially Broken Hope. I mean, groove is so essential, and it's something like even though you take their legacy and how it kind of attributed to brutal death metal, they were never really a band that was blast beating the entire time, you know. And they really, especially in like the mid nineties, Repulsive Conception, like that's a mid tempo death metal record, and it just stomps. You know, the first song is a straight-up grouper that doesn't even really have a blast beat on it. And it, it, it hits harder than you know, some of the fastest shit you could ever pull out there. So how did you come to be in Broken Hope? Um, you've been there for quite a while now, but you weren't there at the beginning. Right. So I, I was in a, a local death metal band in, in northern Illinois, and I befriended this guy named Don, who had been in a death metal band in the 90s called Fleshhold. 
which is some, um, it's really obscure. I think they were known for, uh, Nunez was a drummer for a minute before he joined Soulfly for a second. But through him, I befriended him. I was hanging out at his studio a lot. He was playing bass on a couple of that band's demos. And then we kind of fell by the wayside. And I was just kind of floating around. I had chopped my hair off. I was going to go to college. And Don hit me up and he was like, hey, my good buddy, there's a bass player in Broken Hope. They're trying to get the band back together. And they're looking for a local drummer. So I tossed your name out there. You should go do this audition. And this is probably about 20, it's going on almost 10 years. This was probably about 2011, 2012. So I wound up meeting Jeremy uh, at his house and we jammed in his studio, you know, just on the merit of, hey, this old school dude recommended you. So let's see what the hell you're about. Yeah, I was 19 years old at the time. And they're, you know, in their early 40s. And it just wound up clicking. I think we, even though me and Jeremy are literally years apart the fact that we both grew up loving the same fucking carcass and terrorizer records um really was and connected with us so the fact that i had passion for the they listened to when they were kids coupled with the fact that apparently i did good at the audition when they were looking for a local cat yeah it just wound up now to back you up a little bit where in northern illinois so this was at the time i was uh living in mchenry which is like 20 minutes south of the Wisconsin border. I, I grew up in Mundelein. Oh, shit. All right. All right. You know that Northwestern bird life. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> we, we always say we're from Chicago when, in essence, we're actually closer to Wisconsin than anything else. Oh, uh, it's just so much more convenient to say. <laughs> right. So it was great. And at the time, like, we were rehearsing in Barrington. So if you know Mundelein, you probably know where Barrington is. So Very familiar. So you guys just released an album prior to COVID. Um, have you guys been able to do any um, recording or writing during the you know kind of shutdown? I know that gets really tough, especially as we're all kind of trying to hold on to our jobs and stuff in the meantime. No, oh, exactly. And um, I mean, Jeremy and I, you know, in terms of our, we're very different. You know, he still lives in the burbs. I've been in Chicago proper for about five years now. But, you know, we kept our circles close enough that we can still get together and write. So, I mean, between June and currently, we have six songs demoed. And we kind of uh, we went into a studio, we did some pre-pro on it, and then we took it off to uh, Matt, our guitarist, who lives on the south side of Chicago. And it's like, yo, check this out. We got some drums, we got some guitar riffs. What do you think you can do with this? You know, if we want to do some splice and dice here. So we have started demoing what will be the next Broken Hope record. The problem is, is that we're kind of all over the place. And it's 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 going to be waiting for stuff to open up, waiting for people to be comfortable to be in a jam room again and breathe each other's air before we kind of move forward with that. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, I mean, as you're writing, is this something that's happening remotely? I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of bands don't even live in the same city. So, you know, when you've got, um, you know, large international touring bands that, you know, they're kind of passing files back and forth. Is that how you guys have been doing that? Is it kind of uh, via, you know, electric... <laughs> mail. Yeah, I guess they call that email. You you young kids. Uncensored here. Unedited and uncensored, folks. Yes, I am that stupid. <laughs> Have another beer. <laughs> I mean, what's cool is the fact that, you know, at least Jeremy and I are based in like northern Illinois. So we would get in a jam room together and do it, put the masks on. We we kind of have like a broken hope HQ, which is a converted barn. So we were able to you know, distance and be able to physically scripts but then the idea with that pre-production when we went into the studio was the fact that then it can be first because we got our guitarist that's outside we got our bass player that lives in fucking tijuana 
And then our singer is up in Milwaukee. So it's, it's exactly that, man. You know, we are literally all over the geographical North American map. So that's, that's when the, the electronic mail part kicks <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, electric mail. If you uh, have your, <laughs> the, um, who is, I mean, how is the songwriting process going for Broken Hope? I mean, you you guys all have equal input or you have kind of a head, you know, or a lead songwriter? Because I can tell you, like, as long as I've played music, I, I can admit I'm a shitty songwriter. I just never was into it. I didn't really want to be. Me too. I just, I much enjoyed, you know, kind of being in the rhythm section, letting everybody else take the lead on that. Um, Jeremy and I, for the most part, for the last three Broken Hope releases we've done now, um, it's basically been him and I. We kind of spearheaded. He's the one that comes up with the riff. I mean, during that, at this point, you know, he's the, the OG founder and still the only original member that's left. You know, a lot of that of style and sound, especially when it comes to breakdowns and those groove parts, really comes from him. So we start out with the like base of a song. And then, especially on Mutilated and Assimilated, Matt, our lead guitarist, and Damien, our vocalist, who's also, you know, had his own band, Gorgas, which is in their own sect incredibly fucking influential in the brutal death metal scene. Um, they kind of take it to the next level from the base that we have started with them. So it's like they're adding the heart, they're splicing parts up. It's like, yo, make the sicker. Yo, you should chunk and palm mute it there. Yo, you should add a bass break there. So it starts with the, it starts with the bottom layer of me and Jeremy and then continually just keeps getting leveled up with everybody's input. And so far it's been really successful with us. I mean, I think Mutilated is probably, as much as I love Omen because it was a comeback record, I think for this current incantation of incantation iteration, I don't know. This current iteration of Broken Hope, I think it's probably the toughest thing that this uh, reunion lineup has done. Now, um, as far as writing the music, do you do you write around the lyrics, or are the lyrics put in around the music very much? So, like, uh, I know Chino uh, from Deftones is very very big around this where. They, he wants the music first, and then he wants to be able to put his own little twist on it lyrically, which is why when you try and follow some Deftones lyrics, you're like, that doesn't make any fucking sense, but it sounds <laughs> I mean, the, the music has definitely come first, especially in Broken Hope. And that's always been Jeremy's style, especially because, it, you know, post Broken Hope's breakup in the early 2000s, he kind of shifted his focus into becoming a, a novel writer, and he's written a couple of horror stories that have been published. So it's always been the rift first and then the lyrics. Um, there's actually been like, the funniest story I heard from Old Broken Hope when uh, they were writing low. It was one of those situations where the music came first and the lyrics came second. And then all of a sudden, uh, Joe, the original singer, came back and he's like, man, I got all this shit. You got to fit it in. You need to extend the songs. <laughs> if you listen to that record to this day, I mean, that's one of the most brutal material for Damien to sing live because it is vocals over every goddamn riff and he is just spitting them out. Which is what I love about that classical style when you're just almost kind of spitting them out like it's hip hop or something, the way, the, how fast the lyrics are coming out. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I love that because that's such an old school thing that people don't do anymore, I feel like. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's exactly where I was going with that because, you know, like you go back to you know the age you grew up there it wasn't known for like a lot of really kick-ass metal coming out i mean it was there but you really had to like have an introduction to it and so what was your introduction to the metal world in general like i remember that first album you know i got that like was like holy shit what is this i need a lot more of it you know and um so i mean in the 90s i mean i'm, I'm hoping it wasn't like limp biscuit <laughs> no i mean man and this is why 
you know, especially in Canyon of the Skull, where, you know, those cats are in their 50s, and I am continually accused of being the oldest member of that band. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about what got me into metal, it's two records, and it's hilariously old school. Number of the Beast and Master Yeah, well, that's, uh, I could I count Number of the Beast with mine. Yeah, that, it was, uh, god damn. Yeah, I guess it was Number of the Beast and uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, kind of simultaneously. But like when that album came out, just like thematically, you know, I loved the whole like concept album of it. And, you know, I, and I wasn't bothered by the synth. You know, I know a lot of the hardcore uh, Maiden fans really hated the synth on that album, but I was too young and too new to metal to know that, you know, that there was, it was like Dio out there really adding it in. The controversial opinion, Seventh Son is one of their best records. Yeah. If you Hands down, Seventh Son is one of the best Maiden records. But yeah, man, it was old school. And then it progressed because it went from like, all right, Black Sabbath, cool. Iron Maiden, cool. All right, Metallica, what are we talking here? Kill them all. Okay, sick. I love the style of that. And then all of a sudden, it was when I was in high school, it was an obsession with thrash. So it went from Metallica, kill them all, to like, what the fuck is Testament? What is Forbidden, Sacred Reich, Violence, Anthrax, you know, the, the big four plus everything out of the Bay Area, everything coming out of Canada, everything coming out of New York. Like, dude, I was I was like 14 years old, and everybody else, as you were saying, was like listening to Limp Biscuit, and I'm looking on, you know, thrift stores to see if I can find a pair of Reebok high tops. Well, it's wild because you know uh, th- that era was l- quite different. You you were picking up albums. You oh, I guess that kind of leads into you know streaming a little bit. I, I it starts to overlap a touch, and everything really changed. You know, when streaming rolled around, you know, you, a lot of people didn't buy albums anymore. You had to get them at thrift stores. You know. I love Brian uh, Slagle's like lesson learned in his book on Metal Blade when he talks about um, buying all vinyl in like '88 and having it shipped out to his distributors, and then all of it got returned because nobody wanted vinyl anymore. And so he, so he was like one of the first ones on the streaming train. He was like, "Yep, I'm, I'm not making that mistake again. Absolutely, we're doing it." Right. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly i swear to god black dahlia murder got signed by metal blade purely because they had so many streams on their fucking myspace page that metal blade would, had the aptitude to be like yo this is going to be a big thing we need to sign them and what a fucking name drop there with myspace yeah <laughs> i mean dude and that's how i got i was it was our version of tape trading because we were just connecting with cats in the metal community so i was talking with these people in germany that are like you know I love Pantera, but they're looking at me like, Pantera, you fucking pose. You need to listen to some fucking creator. And I was like, okay, what's this shit? And then you're searching on the internet and like, you know, trying to find certain songs on LimeWire and not murder you <laughs> at the same time. Good porn. So that was kind of our version of tape trading. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, and I really think, I, I my memories of MySpace, like it was, that was a major reason to be on there because of like, they were like, marketing themselves towards like set up your band page and you can like you could actually have tracks up there which you know we're kind of now missing a little bit um on integrated social media obviously Bandcamp and uh, soundcloud and stuff you've got where you can put it up there but like the integrated like conversation with music it's all changing <laughs> for being an audio podcast we sure are having some audio issues <laughs> so we've been talking about broken hope a lot man but it's as we mentioned at the top of the show, you're not only playing with Broken Hope, you play with fucking everybody. Um, do you do session work? You know, I have, uh, I've tried doing that, but it's just it's the matter of fact that I have had to turn down shit really because I've been so 
busy, but I've always tossed it out there. I mean, there's been dudes that have been looking to jam or set something up, or I've had a couple of you know, studio guys in the city will be like, hey, this project's rolling through. And sometimes it just falls through on their end. Sometimes it can end up being too busy, but it's been on the occasion. It's like, do you want to jam on this? And it'll be like, if I got around, yeah. That's actually how I wound up joining the opinion of the skull because Eric had that music written and he had just moved to Chicago, didn't really know anybody. And we got hooked up through our mutual friend Todd, who flew, who's a, the guitarist power man, because they were all brewing friends. And that's kind of how it started. And we met up and he was like, hey man, I need to get this record back. And I just hire you to do this record, no commitment. And then after recording it with him and kind of collaborating a little bit, it blossomed into like, well, you need a drummer. You just came off a tour and fired yours. So we both live in the city. Why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's an example of session we're turning into just joining my 11th band. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It's 11th, right? So who else are you playing with currently? So currently, so other than Broken Hope, I've got them. I've got the Atlas Moth, uh, Power Man, uh, Canyon of the Skull. I've got this uh, 90s kind of like helmety worship project called Hung. That's kind of been, and since the pandemic started, I haven't seen those guys at all. It's fucking wild. Uh, I'm in kind of like a hippie psychedelic jam band with a couple of co-workers from the Wild Jesus and the Devil's Lettuce. <laughs> and then I've got, uh, going back onto like the helmet thing, I've got this side project going with me, um, one of my homies in Atlas Moth, and a couple other people that were kind of calling the equivalent of like dancey helmet. But it's taking like elements of 90s post-rock infusing it with uh kind of like 80s new wave pop sensibilities and then like killing joke darkness so that's kind of been a pandemic project that we've really been working on so we have no name for it and we purely only send tracks back and forth via email but that's something i'm kind of stoked on that hasn't necessarily come to fruition yet but it's definitely in the phases of getting something going now going back to uh the atlas moth your passion for thrash and death and all this heavy, intense, in-your-face metal. Um, Atlas Moth is very heavy and very intense, but there's so much more to it. How did that end up? Uh, how did you, going from you know blast beat after blast beat after blast beat, go to something like the Atlas Moth, which when I was listening to the album last night, I was cleaning my house, um, as I like to do, <laughs> blast stuff, right? And uh, listening to it, and I mean, I, I'm telling you what, I heard so many different layers of other influential bands that were in that. Um, two which come to mind right now uh, are Porcupine Tree, oddly enough, and Cool. Yo, fair enough. And that, that Atlas Moth was cool because it takes like the elements of a band like Tool, adds kind of a psychedelic Pink Floyd element to it. And then you've got Andrew, who's one of our principal songwriters, who comes from like a fucking dope hip hop, you know, kind of aesthetic and background in terms of how he writes his keyboard parts. And then you mix it with like me, Steve and Beatle, who are kind of like these Heshers that also have an appreciation for kind of like, you know, that comedy, I hate God, Melvin's um, type of aesthetic. And you just mash it all together. I mean, that's what I love about Moth is it's kind of a little bit of everything. And especially on that last record, it was like, there's there's metal shit on there. There's, you know, kind of hip hop shit on there. There's definitely some of those, you know, kind of psych rock backgrounds, which I fucking love. I mean, I grew up listening to like, the Beatles were my thing when I was a kid. So any of that like late 60s kind of psychedelia era is, era is something that's really near and dear to me. I love 
seeing those influences peppered into metal because it just works really fucking well together. It does. I actually heard a lot of uh, one other one that came to mind for me was uh, like very early between the buried me popping up in there. I mean, and that makes sense. They did a tour with uh, ET Bam probably about five, six years ago. And I know that they definitely kind of rubbed off on them. I mean, they, that's a cool fucking band. <laughs> well, again, you've got all these cool projects, you know, and none of them suck at all. And um, so we've touched on those. I mean, you, you really are covering those heavily. Kenny, you know, the skull doesn't come up as much. I didn't realize there was such an age gap between you and the rest of the guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and, and this is the story of my existence, man. It's just like, I've always, I've always befriended people that are older than me. I've always gotten along with them better. And that's, what's hilarious. I mean, empowerment the same way, because most of those guys, I mean, you have to remember that they were in their, early 20s in like 1988 yeah they were doing movies before you were born <laughs> yeah man i mean and that's so cool that's how i that's how i introduced my parents to it and i was like hey, i joined this other band he's like joined another band i was like yeah they were in a fucking david lynch movie like how cool is that <laughs> <laughs> is it Nick Cage? and i am now with them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it was funny because well you mentioned you know um the melvins and you know some of the like when you start kind of heading into those influences that are kind of all over the place with Atlas Moth, it's funny because I was, I, that's the one kind of thread I see through your playing and your songwriting across the board is that like you're, everything's an homage, you know, you're not really directly like, Hey, I want to, I want this to sound like a fucking Slayer riff or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, it's all well integrated and taken and evolved, which is what we all do. You know I mean? That's, that's what we're trying to bring out. But um, you know, that kind of brought, me back a little bit to there was um this this hard chugging beat on um in course with impiety and it's it reminds me very much of the album that uh jello biafra did with uh what al jorgensen the uh ministry i'm sorry ministry uh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. last temptation of reed and there's like a really kick-ass um track on there called can god fill teeth and it's got this, it's like fucking driving. It's not quite punk, not quite hardcore, not quite metal, not quite industrial, you know? And I think that's what you're really bringing to the table on across these projects as well. But where the fuck do you find the endurance to do this? Oh man. Uh, pure, pure piss and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> and it also helps when, when you're going on your first, uh, your first professional tour ever, you're 20 years old obituary and it's literally like hey you need to be on your game because donald tardy is going to be playing drums after you every night and that dude's about solid as a fucking rock so you better not fuck up <laughs> so i mean it's it's pure adrenaline especially when i was you know 10 years ago it was pure youth and adrenaline and now it's just uh shit i probably should go practice every day and make sure my crops are in shape and not drink that third beer of the night right right <laughs> Well, you know, and that's an aspect of it that you don't hear about. I mean, we hear about the parties. We hear about, like, you know, all the crazy after show shit. But I've heard interviews with you and we've chatted with you. You know, your your practice regimen is tight. You know, I mean, you've got practice pads with you and all that. Like, I mean, constantly trying to keep your chops up. I guess when you're not playing live, hell, I guess your live shows in general would probably keep your chops yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, and there was a time, especially like 2014, 2015. I mean, I was on the road most of the year. And when you get to that point, it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're playing live every night and you're conditioned that, that's when you're on top game. And it sucks because I know shows start happening again and tours start happening again. Nobody is going to be at that fucking caliber. <laughs> We've all been sitting on our asses for two years. Everything's going to be played at half speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope everybody's keeping their chops up at home. Yeah, exactly. You know, listening to all the interviews, I'm seeing lots of live streams, lots of interviews, all that. And um, I we just... 
listening to, I think, I don't remember who I was listening to. I think it was a uh, death angel. Ted Aguilar has been doing a uh, live and streaming on Saturdays. And I think it was him talking about like getting back on the road and like needing to get his chops back up before he does that. Oh, it's such this show brought to you by ill industries. <laughs> <laughs> like we're drinking our death, death angel beer. I only had two left of the new succubus. I know you're a big beer geek, oh, uh, which is how I know awesome. you being like, uh, yeah. Um, we're hoping to get Ale Industries and um, maybe Mark or, or Rob on the show on uh, Shift Drink. But, um, you know, we hadn't even touched on that. But, like, that's how I know you is through the kind of food and beverage. And you're talking about keeping your endurance and energy up. But you're like a big coffee geek, right? I mean. Oh, God. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the aforementioned electric mail address, you know, at Dark Matter Coffee. And I'm familiar with it because I'm in from the Midwest. Um, but that's a huge name, you know, nationally. You know, people yeah. know about dark matter. I mean, you know, give us the rundown how that kind of integrates into the way you play. And because I, I think there's a lot of crossover between the service industry and uh, music, obviously, because we all, you know, are doing both. But <laughs> no, exactly. I'm not touring. You're touring. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's huge, man. And I think there's such a crossover because I mean, a musician is a unique type of person that can't fucking sit still. So we're not going to thrive in office jobs. And I mean, in the chaos of either working in front of house or being in back of house or being in production or being in a kitchen, I think that, you know, that crossover between creating food or creating music is pretty similar. And it's an industry where people like us can actually thrive and be accepted that won't, you know, give us trouble because we're sitting here constantly tapping that shit or creating shit or going off doing God knows what. But man, especially on the coffee thing, I mean, it just fuels me. When I first joined Broken Hope, always because Gene Hoagland is another one of my huge when he was in Death Dark Angel, I'm sorry, he was referred to as the LA caffeine machine. Uh, was, another guy that's played with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Gene is so sick. So Jeremy used to call me the McHenry caffeine machine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's great. And the, and the, especially the relationship with coffee, the best way I can tie to it is that Dark Matter has done a lot of collaborations with a lot of bands. And if you look at who's spearheading their collaborations, it's always the fucking drummers. I mean, we've done like two coffees with Municipal Waste, and that was because of Dave Whitty, who's their drummer. Um, we've done a couple coffees with Macedon, and that was because of Ron, who's their drummer. When we did a collaboration with Refuse, it was their drummer that picked out the cultivars that we were going to use for it. So it's, it, I think it's just a, a, a correlation between our inability to sit still, our need for speed, and yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, going back to that, how do you keep your endurance? It's like, well, I'm going to slam like two espressos and then I'm going to go play this set. Well, it's like any rabbit hole. You go, you go deep enough down any rabbit hole and it's going to get obsessive. And uh, it is funny, you know, everybody's got their little niches. And I, I, I was telling Kevin, you know, before the show that I've, I'm officially become like the, the Karen that can't get moving in the morning. But we're like, stop. I need five cups of coffee first. And I, that's totally me now. I'm like, I wake up and I'm just like dragging myself across the floor to get to the coffee, you know? And I never really thought I'd be that person, but you know, it's, um, you know, we all work uh, pretty, um, I guess, strenuous jobs. We work a lot of hours, especially these days, trying to keep our head above the water. And, um, you know, it reminds me, I actually in Chicago one time I got to see, uh, John Sorn and Bill Laswell and Dave Lombardo with the Blade Runner project. Oh, that's so fucking And it was at Reggie's, so it was even cooler. Um, but after the show, um, we were chatting with Lombardo, and I was just like, I mean, it was 45 minutes straight, no breaks, no, I mean, the only breaks were just 
down tempo. That was a break. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was 45 minutes of, of improv. And after the show, I was like, how did you just, how can you handle doing that for 45 fucking minutes? And he just looked at me as like, because I do this every night. <laughs> Like, well, there is something to be said for that. Yeah, it's just like, I fucking hate. <laughs> like, touche, man. Oh, and I love it. I thought the, I thought the line was going to be coffee. I was like, ah, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> but I'm sure there's some of that too. But man, yeah, I mean, I think also just, there's got to be a natural energy. Maybe our hearts beat a little bit differently. That That's just the way that it fucking goes. And if you got it, you got to release it. You're going to explode. And that's why I get yelled at meetings for continually tapping on my desk. Because I literally don't know any better at this point in my adulthood. Well, I, I think something too that um, I know I've definitely picked up in in my industry. So where Ed is in uh, the running and operating and owning a restaurant, I am in the industry where I um, I work for an alcohol distributor, and so I I sell Ed a lot of his booze. <laughs> yeah, godsend. Thank God for you, Kev. <laughs> when I first got in the industry, I, I remember talking with someone. Um, he's uh, one of the, uh, the senior leaders on our team. And he had said that um, it, this, what we're in, it, it, it's, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. We're in this because we love what we do. We're in this because we want to do it. We're not in this because we're going to get rich. There are some of us that are going to get rich. Well, most of us, no. But most of us will also be happy and not have the need to call it a job. Totally. And that, that's, that's absolutely why I think, especially in the, in the terms of Atlas Moth, which is entirely a service industry band, which is why we haven't been able to do shit last year because everybody's literally been too focused on surviving because of exactly that. It's like, you know what? We're not in this industry for the money. We're in it because we love what we do. We love what we create. We love the people that we work with and collaborate with. And you're absolutely right in terms of that lifestyle. Quote. It, it really is. You know, it's, it's all encompassing. You're always thinking on your feet. You're always moving. There's always something to be done. There's always something to create. There's always something to fix. What the hell ever. But there's always something to create and do and then like end product can just be like the dumbest fucking thing you've ever thought of. Yep. And as long as we enjoy it, uh, that's all that matters. And if somebody else can enjoy it, uh, that's even better. But we really, we do this for, yeah. for us. We don't, you know, we, we don't do this for recognition. If we get recognized, we get recognized. Hey. Well, I think there's a lot of parallels also as well with like songwriting and cooking, you know, um, it's, and it even kind of comes down to the same, uh, arguments and, and debates back and forth between like technicality and like writing a kick-ass song. You know, when I grew up, you know, as many musicians do, you know, like got super heavy into like prog rock and like whoever could play the most notes in a bar and like all the syncopated rhythms. And, you know, I actually used to um, take drum rudiments and um, translate them onto slap bass. So I was like using my my thumb as left hand and my fingers as the right hand. So I was, cause all my friends are percussionists. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's a great party trick, but at the end of the day, you come to practice or you come to, you know, with some ideas to write some songs and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, don't do that on the next song <laughs> you know, because it gets in the fucking way, you know, and the older I've gotten, You're the just the I've bass gotten, player. Okay. Stop. <laughs> right? always the fucking bass player. You know, but, and I think that's what it was, right? Like chip on the shoulder as a bass player when I was in my teens and like getting in my twenties. But I think the older you get, you know, I'm totally okay with being just the bass player because it's still like laying down the foundation for what everybody else can solo on or the chord structures or anything. And, you know, that's why I, I've appreciated or learned to appreciate songwriting more than technical prowess over the years. 
you know, like writing a kick-ass fucking song. I mean, that's why punk became like, you know, this kind of statement against oh, all yeah. the overproduced shit, right? In the 70s, was, you know, we don't want to play well. We just want to write some kick-ass songs. And I mean, how many of us could sing fucking Ramon songs whether or not you listen to them? Oh, I was literally about to drop that. I'd be like, hum me a fucking yes tune or hum me a <laughs> right. Ramones tune. And like, you're going to know about 30 Ramones tunes up your fingertips. And the only... Yes, song I can think of right now is fucking roundabout. Roundabout, yeah. <laughs> There's more. I think they're all connected. <laughs> By the way, have you heard the uh, Elysian cover of uh, Roundabout? No, but that sounds incredible, and I need to look that up right now. They're the ones that covered that Rush tune, right? Subdivisions, is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Again, prog shit, you know. That, that band is pretty sick. I got to hand it to them. I um, you know, that would have been my phase, I guess, in my like late teens was you know i went to every rush show went to go see any prog bands from the 70s that were still around but you know again just kind of as i got older as you know in my 20s i started like looking up all the funk bands the soul bands coming through town and like really just laying into that pocket into that groove and as a drummer um i know that that's that's it's a it's an intangible kind of ethereal thing to try to grab onto you know everybody talks about the groove you know or the pocket but i mean what does that mean to you when you hear somebody say like groove or in the pocket because i know what it means to me but it might you know it's hard to yeah. define i mean man to me it's like such a fucking spiritual and emotional thing the only thing i can really tie it to is like when i started at dark matter i did not know what p-funk was i got introduced to that world of parliament Funkadelic really quick. And it's truly like, you know, one nation under a group. Like, you know, it's the feeling, it's the emotion. It's the, like, it, it really, and it's awesome that you can't find the words for it because you really can't. It's hard to describe. Like, you either feel it or you don't. And like, another one of my influences would probably be uh, AP from Clutch because you want to talk about a modern, like, kind of metal hard rock drummer that is the definition of fucking rocket. Like, dude is it. And that's what makes that band so hard is that it's not on the beat it's not behind the beat it's just there and you feel it and it's it's moving you and whatever direction it takes it's moving you and that's like the spiritual aspect that it's almost like kind of animal you know <laughs> you ever heard that uh that the phrase you know like get on the bus oh yeah yeah the groove the pocket as far as a drummer uh or in the case of myself and ed a bass player is concerned if you're not getting on the bus, you're going to be left behind or you're going to be way ahead. Figure it mm -hmm. out. Yeah, it's like Parliament was my early like intro to all that. And I mean, seeing some of those guys live is just, you know, I got to have seen Maceo Parker live a couple times and Fred Wesley and the JB Horns. And it's, they, I think you nailed it, Mike. It's like, it is. It's, it's, so when you hear it, even if you're not the one playing it, it is a very spiritual connection. Um, you know, I've seen I, I, the last concert I saw Bootsy were the only one I've ever seen Bootsy Collins. Um, it was just him doing his own thing here in Indy, maybe about five years ago, six years ago. And um, it was just everybody in the crowd, man. It was like everybody was everyone's best friend. You're just I mean, it was a you're grooving, you're vibing, man. Like it's not even it's not even like you're not doing it. You're doing it subconsciously. It just starts moving you. And that's when you know it's a good group because you're not purposely dancing you just all of a sudden are like oh shit i'm moving <laughs> and it comes easy it's not it's not something that is strenuous or that you have to work hard at it's just you fall right into it and if you get out of it that means you had to try really hard to get out of it because normally once you in that pocket you're in it until they tell you the song's over oh exactly i mean i, I taught uh taught drum lessons for a little bit when i was in high school and i always feel awful 
saying it, but at the end of the day, like, especially when it comes to groove and feel like, I feel like you either have it or you don't, man. Cause I tried teaching it and I just, you, you got to feel it. Otherwise it's not a technical thing. You can't teach it like an algebraic equation. You have to feel it. And if you don't feel it, then it's just not going to work. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, there being, uh, being the band geek that I was, um, I mean, it, it was, you, you could see some of those people that uh, you played with. They're like, uh, they're trying really hard, but they won't make it. <laughs> well, no, I love that you've, you're talking about groove and metal, you know, um, because it's not the first word that comes to mind. I think when people think, oh, man, this is really groovy, but it's there, you know, and uh, my friend Chris and I talk about this all the time. And, you know, I mean, like Lobardo's got fucking groove, you know, and it it gets i think overlooked by a lot of uh songwriters and guitar players and singers that are playing extreme music or you know it's it can be overlooked cuz you can still groove you know at 220 beats a minute it's just uh it's a little more subtle you know oh god yeah i mean dude that's what i love about i mean listen to like fucking war ensemble for example where he's just got this dope skank beat going but when he goes to do the fill it goes to and he's got like a fucking swing to every fill that he plays as soon as he leaves that skank beat and that's like what fucking makes it clear man and that's where the that's where the groove and fill still is there's a i love those like that you mentioned that like war ensemble i always think of like i mentioned it at the top of the show the uh kind of double bass drumming or drilling through on um south of heaven and it's like those really kind of i guess i don't want to say basic but um they're not overly complex. They're not these syncopated rhythms or anything, but it's the stuff that stands out and they're like crowd pleasers. And like, I, I just love that. Or like a, a fill that you've gotten used to hearing on an album, you know, where you're just like, you're just waiting for it, you know, like the fucking Phil Collins fill, you know, or like, uh, needs to be here tonight. I just need that. Bah, 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 bah. And it's like, Oh yeah. Everybody's just waiting in anticipation for two yeah, seconds. Exactly. <laughs> oh, do, I mean, do you have any of those like little tricks that you like, like to pull to like, you know, there's always, you know, the singers got their little tricks to kind of engage the crowd, but man, you know, some d double bass is always like a sucker punch to the crowd. Cause everybody's just like hungry for it, but you got any like tricks up your sleeve to really like drag them in. If they're just kind of watering off, <laughs> you know, you start with that nice little, this nice little Tom fill and then you build it up and you build it up and the bot boom, and you know, and you slam into it. I was like, uh, I mean, punk rock, man, you want to talk about it beat that really gets you fucked up that really tense tom build at the beginning of big takeover where it's just building and it's building, it's building bump 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 and then ba -ba -da -ba -ba -ba, and then just slams right into it and it's like you know, that's like the one of the dopest moments in punk rock history dude there's so much going on in music these days i mean what do you think's coming next i mean with the shutdown and i i'm trying to intentionally stay away from like harping on COVID 19 but it's it's very hard to ignore you know it's uprooted everything that we know it's changed the world it's changed the way we eat changed the way we're you know well i mean it's eliminated live shows i think the last time i went to a show was with you kev what was the last show we were at ed i think it was probably uh watain wasn't it i believe it was that was a fun show <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean what do you think's coming next did you, you think it's going to go back to how it was or you think there's going to be changes because i think you've got a unique kind of view on the scene because you're also in hospitality and, you know, th I don't think things are necessarily going back the way they were in hospitality, but I don't know about venues. Right. I mean, and I'm trying to figure out the place of live streaming and all of this. Obviously, that's still going to, you know, as the fact that we have to deal with these fucking order ahead and delivery apps and whatnot. I feel like when things start opening up again, you know, the, the live streaming and all of that may not go 
Hey, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a dope way to promote a single. I think it's a great way to promote a record, especially if you're a working class band who's like service industry oriented, who can't go out six weeks on the road anymore and lose their ass in a van. You know, I think it's still a great way to be able to point in your art across. But I still think it'll come back, but it'll kind of be a balance of the two. Because now that like it's been integrated, you can't unintegrate it. Like I think what this pandemic did, especially in terms of like food and beverage, was sped up an inevitable by about 10 years in terms of delivery, in terms of you know, instant, in terms of it being more about I want it, I want it in terms of sitting instead of sitting down at a restaurant and having an experience, which for you know, I'm sure three of us on here is it's all about about the hospitality because that's just what we're used to that's what we do that's what we pride ourselves on but you know it's that hard to follow up well the game here a little bit quicker than we anticipated and now it's just going forward how do we integrate both so now we can satisfy both so i think that's what it'll be a healthy mixture both as far as i'm thinking and you know you'll get these large-scale you know live stream events that have the production of you know playing the aragon ballroom to three thousand people without necessarily having to do it but then you'll still have your favorite bands that are doing club circuit, you know. Have you done any of the uh, live stream? Have you, uh, Atlas Moth or uh, or Broken Hope done any of the live stream shows? You know, we haven't, and we've gotten a couple of offers, and it just comes down to the fact that right now everybody is so fucking scattered and so focused on just trying to survive that we just haven't been able to pull it together. I mean, I'm sure we'd love to, we'd love the concept, love the idea, especially if it incorporates you like saying atlas moth can do a live stream cool we're going to do it at the empty bottle so we can give those people a job for a day we can promote the venue we can promote us but it just comes down to the fact of trying to get people together right now is a hard part <laughs> we all know people want to be together it's just whether or not we're allowed to yeah well i i love you know your that you're so accepting of the live stream and the and the shows that are happening on various social media outlets because i like that aspect of it but you know in the beginning it was like this is fucking awesome i get to see you know some of your favorite bands that don't ever come through town you live in chicago and uh kevin and i live in indianapolis so you know we have fewer shows to pick from um you know not not everybody comes through <laughs> right but you know in the beginning it was exciting but now it's just making me want to go to shows more especially the extreme music that we listen to you know it's you know, a, a good part of that is the live performance. You yeah, know, I mean, it's fucking catharsis, man. I mean, that's why most of us are into this, right? You know, it's keeping us from doing anything harmful to ourselves or other people around us. So, yeah, I'm going to go see fucking Watain so I can get that shit out <laughs> and in the morning and, you know, be a functioning adult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we weren't yeah. Very functioning that next day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we weren't Fair functioning. No. <laughs> no, stands hangover or what have you. It was more or less, uh, it was uh, not a hangover, but Ed caught a couple elbows to the back, and I, I'm sure uh, I did as Kidneys. Oh, God. Man, I miss that, too. And then we're getting to the point where we're talking about how we miss getting hurt at shows. Like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's time to go back. <laughs> right. Right? Hell yes. Hell yes. My my wife got a full-on elbow to the face when we went to a psychedelic show, and you know what? I'm sure she's missing that black eye right now, too. <laughs> Well, so, you know, as things wind down, you know, in the coronavirus, I certainly hope that you guys, you know, um, can start doing shows again and I can check you out. I mean, is there, uh, is there a, an electronic uh, uh, page, if you will? Oh, a website, a website, <laughs> you know, um, 
where where everybody can find uh, the Atlas Moth and Broken Hope and King of the Skull and or is there just like a MikeMeCheck.com that goes to the seventeen bands that you play with? You know, the, the smart thing to do to in this entire time would have been to put together an EPK and a website. <laughs> right. I've been too busy playing fucking Super Smash Brothers and listening to Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah, there you go. So if you're playing Super Smash Brothers, any any 007 Gold Nine? Oh man, I I would love. Back up. I need an emulator. Man. That's that's where I need going. But man, I mean, any of the projects I'm in, a good old Google search will bring you to a Bandcamp. It'll bring you to Facebook to uh, to find out what's going on. I mean, brokenhope.com. I think it's coming I mean, what the unfortunate part is that nothing's really going on right now. But at least the music is still accessible. And hopefully, sometime in the next six months, we're able to start getting. Back and doing what we do best. I mean, I always recommend anybody to go on and check to see if there's merch, like vinyl, cassettes are coming back, you know? Um, there's record labels devoted entirely to cassettes. It fucking blows my mind, especially when cars these days don't even come with CD players anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, Ed, uh, you, you know how uh, uh, Bryn, so Bryn, uh, Mike, uh, Bryn's my fiance. Um, I got her into metal through Iron Maiden. Thankfully, she goes to all the shows with us now. There's three of us. <laughs> uh, right. She called me right before we started the show. I was like, hey, we're, we're, we're starting. She said, I know, but I, I want to tell you what I found. She's down in Bloomington uh, working and helping out. She went to this music store, music store there called Tracks. She found a Cannibal Corpse vinyl. She's like, hey, I bought it for you. I just thought you'd uh, want it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so like that's what I was going to say. There's like That's the physical, you know, I always tell everybody, go buy the physical copies of it. But, uh, you know, how do you feel about the streaming services? You know, should we point them to... Uh... I guess something's better than nothing, I would presume. But, I mean, do you guys even get anything out of that? I mean, if we have, it is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the, and the tough part with the Broken Hope catalog is the fact that, you know, it's not metal. There's limited press. I don't think you can even go on Century Media's website and fucking buy copies of our latest record anymore. So, in terms of that, shit, I mean, streaming services are the best way to go about it. Um, all honesty, I mean, the website been really doing the most for musicians right now during this pandemic has been playing band camp especially with the fr the free the free fridays or whatever it is where download an artist's album they get all and band camp isn't taking a fee so i mean if you can't copies, i highly recommend for checking out and i know atlas and canyon of the skulls latest records are on there so that's always out and even if you download that like that a bigger cut of that is going to us than say streaming on Spotify, you know. Mike, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's you know, it, it's always fun to chatting with you, and you know, we could always hang out for like we, we that's why we're specifically drinking beer. We, you know, I was like, ah, Mike's a beer guy, let's let's grab some brew. You know, we had our, our death angel succubus. I don't know if how ale industries feels about that. Maybe they wanted to call ale industry succubus, but <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, maybe they don't. Um, but you know, I know you're a craft beer guy. And so we wanted to, do, you know, sit and have a beer with you. Um, it's, it's always fun chatting with you, man. And I hope that you get to come on the show when we know what we're doing. <laughs> it might no, I, was, I, mean, <laughs> I will, I will be back. Time, y'all. I, I, I love shooting this. Shit and I think more importantly, I can't wait to open up so I can just come down to Indy and fucking have a beer with y'all in person. I think we uh, I think we get together with Luke over at Kuma's and just uh, chat on some burgers and some beers and uh, oh man yes that's right dude it's all about the girl pizza now man we got to get a flight oh I know I saw that uh, did you find an Excel psychopath because apparently you're not one I just started an office at work about uh, two weeks ago now and I'm so regretting the fact that I cheated on my Excel courses in college with my buddy that was going to IT 
because fuck if I know what I'm doing now. You fucking nerd taking Excel classes. <laughs> that's never going to translate in today's society. No, exactly. Rock on. Yeah, uh, this has been this has been great, man. Um, I hope uh, we can continue yeah, this. Ed, we lost you again. Bum mic cable. <laughs> because w- w- why wouldn't I, you know? I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's an audio podcast. Why would I not have shitty audio equipment? The irony is that it's not, you know, I'm like shit always breaks down, you know, in the middle when you, when you need it the most. Oh, that's Murphy's Law in full If there's anything that you all take away from the lesson today, welcome to the first episode and make sure you've got a backup mic cable. <laughs> all right. Well, check out the Atlas Moth. Check out Cane of the Skull. Check out Broken Hope. Check out Power Mad. Check out fucking slayer and iron maiden and whoever else is mike mike's playing with the moment um, <laughs> and, and, um, and dark, dark matter coffee yeah for sure oh man it's so good drink some coffee and say hi yeah you can find us at a440podcast.com we're new um but like i said you can also find me at shiftdrinkpodcast.com um mike again man i appreciate you coming on the show i can't wait to see you again in person and actually uh see you play again yeah it's gonna be uh I hope it's coming soon. Dude, gotta be. End of the year. Let's go. Let's go. Gotta be. Well, until next time, folks, this is A440 Podcast. We're in tune with everything. Thank you very much. 